A few weeks ago, uh, Andy asked if I'd like to preach at the Together service, and I said, yeah, I'd love to. Um, and he said, you don't have to preach from Luke, because we're going through Luke at the moment, as you probably know. Uh, you can preach from anything. I said, okay, well, I think I want to preach on something about the church, kind of who we are as a church, what our mission is, but I didn't really know quite what. But then, as it happened, in my daily readings, I was reading, I, I'm going through some of the letters of Paul, and I've got to the book of Philemon. And what I do with my daily readings is I sit down and I have my pen and I basically just read the verse, make any comments on it that I think are interesting, and then kind of move on. And I read the kind of the usual intro from Paul, you know, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, blah, 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 right into the main letter. And as I sat there with that bit unannotated, unnoted, I thought, maybe it is worth going back and just seeing if there is anything, even something small in the way that Paul introduces this letter to his friend. And so I did. And I went back and read it again. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Apphia, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And it struck me, huh, that's funny, isn't it, that he calls Archippus, our fellow soldier. That's a funny way of uh, an analogy for a fellow Christian, a fellow member of the church, a soldier. Then I went back again. Apphia, our sister. So you've got the analogy of a family there. And then go back again to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker. And I realized that in this one verse, we have three analogies that Paul uses to describe the nature of the church. The church, the, the Christians, the body of Christ, are like a bunch of workers working together on something. The church is like brothers and sisters. They're like a family together. And the church are like soldiers, fellow soldiers together. And I thought, that's what I'm going to talk about. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. These three analogies and how they relate to us as the church. So the first one, the workers, the fellow workers. This is what the church is, uh, is called here by Paul, fellow workers. Now, the word that he uses there, if you're a first century Greek speaker, there's, there's nowadays, if I said my co-worker, I could be in any job, right? But if you're a first century Greek speaker, this word pretty much only has two references. Either you're a builder and you build buildings, or you work in a vineyard and you tend to the grapes, and you, you do something with them. And this is what uh, an analogy that Paul uses elsewhere. So in, in 1 Corinthians 3, he says, we, as in the apostles, are fellow workers, and you are God's field and God's building. So he uses both sides of the analogy there. And so the point there is, if we are fellow workers together, then we are like builders. We are like those who labor in a vineyard. And so the church is called to get on with their task, to realize that there is a building that needs to be built, that there is a vineyard that needs to be tended. And the thing about this is that Jesus uses two analogies to describe himself. He says that he is the cornerstone and that he is the vine and you are the branches. So when we are in our task of building, we build on the cornerstone that is Jesus. And what are the bricks? First Timothy tells us that we are the bricks. We are the living stones. 
And so we ourselves are the builders, but we're also building with each other. We are building something that benefits this world, that benefits God, that looks glorious, that people look back on. In the same way that when you see a piece of architecture that is striking, you say, wow, clearly someone has labored to make that look that glorious. We are called to be laboring for something glorious. And guess what? There's a whole lot of bricks outside these walls that need to be added to this building. And so this calling as fellow laborers calls us to look outside the walls of the church, to go into the world, to proclaim the gospel that Jesus is the king, and to see this building, this temple, this house built for God on the cornerstone that's Jesus. To see branches added to this living vine, to see beautiful, fruitful grapes growing off it, to make some glorious tasting wine with them. Jesus is the vine. Jesus is the cornerstone. We are the branches. We are the bricks. We need to add to them. We need to tend to it. We need to build it. We need to turn it into something wonderful. Now, the the danger is Jesus comes in in Luke 20, and he says to the people that, that are listening to him that you've been building on the wrong cornerstone. And in the same way, it's possible to be tending what you thought was a vine, and it turned out to be brambles. And so the challenge with this is, as we are, a, uh, the challenge for us is, are we as a church building on Christ? Or are we building on our values? Are we building on what we want to see? It's so easy for churches to do this. It's so easy for any group to do this, to forget what they are there for and turn into something else they would like to pursue. Are we tending the vine that is Christ? Or are we tending a bramble bush? Are we building on his cornerstone or a different cornerstone? That's the challenge of us as fellow workers. So get your tools out. Get into the field and start building and let's do that together. The second analogy that he uses is that we are a family. We are brothers and sisters. Now, the thing I love about the church is I don't know any other group that has the demographic that we have. We have people who are tiny to people who are really old. We have people from different nations. We have a whole group of heterogeneous, which is a fancy way of saying very different people, all in one group. And we aren't just, oh yeah, I kind of know him. Yeah, he's an acquaintance. No, no. If you are in Christ, then we are brothers and we are sisters. There are no cousins in the body of Christ. And so everyone who calls on the name of the Lord is my brother and is my sister. And if we are a family, then we care for each other. If we are a family, then we don't look to someone else in need and say, oh, I'm sure someone else will sort it out. If we are a family, when we're in need, we share it with each other because we love each other. Because we are a family, it says, don't do, just belong. Come in and be at home. Come and eat with us. Come and drink with us. Take the family name on. Because we are a family. We're not cousins. We're not in-laws. We're not removed. We are brothers and sisters if we are in Jesus. So be loved. In Galatians, Paul tells us this. In Galatians 6, he says to the church, Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Then a few verses down in verse 9, he says, Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, after the plane's gone past, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. 
Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. We are a family. Let us do good to each other. Let us pursue each other. And, and it says, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So in other words, because we're a family, that doesn't just mean that we're inward looking. That doesn't just mean that we only care about people in here. We especially care for our family. But because we're a family, we then look outwards. We then look to those who are not in the fold. And so we are a family. Be welcome. And finally, Paul says, we are soldiers. You know when you see like uh, soldiers walk in line, they're all marching, perfect timing, all the drill and everything, and you think, wow, there is some discipline going on here. These guys know what they're about. And equally, soldiers go to places all over the world to do jobs that none of us want to do because they believe that good and justice are things worth fighting for. That there is evil in this world that needs to be addressed. So in the same way, if we as the church are soldiers, it becomes being aware of this very important fact. There is an enemy who is opposed to the glory of God. But it's also worth being aware, there is a king who desires to see goodness, justice, peace, and mercy flow on this world. If there's that king, sign me up to his army. In Psalm 110, a psalm that we looked at a couple of weeks ago, it says this. This is Jesus' favorite psalm. Psalm 110, verse 3, or verse 2 and 3, it says, The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion, saying, Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be willing on your day of battle. Arrayed in holy splendor, your young men will come to you like dew from the morning's womb. The point there is that when the troops, when the soldiers see the glory of Christ, when they see, oh my goodness, he's the king, he's the one that we're going to fight for, they are ready and willing. They say, yep, get the kit on, give me my sword, give me my gun, whatever, sign me up, I'm in his army. If we realize who the king is, then we need to arm for battle. If we realize that there is evil in this world that needs to be addressed with the good news of Jesus, then we need to be ready to fight. We stand opposed to anything that would set itself up in the place of Christ. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, we take captive any thought that is opposed to Christ. We have to be aware that there is a war and we have to be willing to fight. We are soldiers. Get in battle positions. Go into the war zone. When you leave these doors, you're not going back home. You're entering the battlefield. But there's a problem if we only take one of these analogies and say, well, I like this one. So some people here might think, well, I like the family analogy the most. So I'm just going to think of church as a family. And some people might say, no, no, no. I like the war analogy. I like the soldier analogy. Looking at you, Greg. Fair enough. And the problem is, none of these analogies were supposed to be self-standing. They're supposed to overlap. They're supposed to build a case together. right? And some things that don't look at all the same have some features that are strangely in common. So you know the classic joke, what's brown and sticky? A stick. Now you know what's implied, right? And you think, what do those two things have in common? Well, they're both brown and sticky.
Or, you know, Palmer violets? Little sweets, little purple sweets? Imagine someone who'd never had them before. And you say, they're, they're kind of like uh, chalk, but uh, nice. And someone who's never experienced them, but they know what chalk's like. And they're thinking, it's like chalk, but nice. Those two things don't go together. But when you try them, you go, oh, I see what you mean. It's like chalk, but nice. So things that don't really have a lot of things in common can overlap. And so you think, what do builders building a building together, or laborers in a vineyard, or a family sitting down for dinner, what does that have in common with uh, soldiers going off to war, or vice versa? And the other thing is that you could say, well, there's nothing in common, so I'm just going to pick the one I like. And the problem if we do that is that the image becomes skewed. So if, for instance, you just said, I like the workers analogy, that's the one I'm going to go with. We're here to do our job. We're here to, to get something done. We're here to build a building. We're here to attend the vine. Good. If that's the only picture we use for the church, then we turn into works-based legalists where your value is only held so long as you're useful. If you're not on a rotor, I'm looking at you. That's the problem. And that's not right. But what we do need is the challenge to be at work. We do need the challenge to get our tools in, to build something in the vineyard, to help with the building. And so the challenge comes from that one. But then when we come to family, it's a very different challenge. Because to be in a family, what do you have to do? Nothing. You just be. You just come and you're welcome. And so it's not about the, you need to do something, you need to add something. It's just the, hey, come in, guys, sit down. But if we only have the family one, then the church just kind of turns into this kind of nice social club where we come together and eat biscuits and sing some songs. And we lose the fact that there is something bigger that we're here for. We lose the fact that there is a building to build. We lose the fact that there is a vineyard to tend, that there is a war to be fought. And so we take from the family thing the fact that we are loving and welcoming to all and that we want people to feel like they belong here and it's not somewhere where you have to earn your way in or make sure you maintain a certain level of status. If you just want to come to church and you're not prepared to rotor, then that's absolutely fine because you're part of the family and you're my brother or you're my sister. And so we need those two to balance it out. And, and likewise, if we only have the army analogy, if we just constantly think we're at war and that's all we're here for, then what do we turn into but militant moralizers? They're wrong, we're right, we're going to go there and tell them how wrong they are. And we lose the fact that we are called to be Christ-like in our approach, that we're called to be winsome, that we're called to show forth a king who summarizes what love looks like. And so we can't just have the army analogy. We can't have any of these by themselves. They have to mutually complement each other so that we get a full-orbed picture of what the church is like. Now, I wonder if you, if you go away today, think, if you've been coming to the Vine Church regularly, think, I wonder which one of these we major and which one of these we minor on. Because it's inevitable that every church is going to do so. And the challenge is to not be majoring or minoring on any of them. All of them need to be at the forefront of our minds. All of them inform us as individual Christians. As an individual, I need to be working in my own life at taking the commission that Jesus has given me to make this a fruitful vineyard. 
In my own life, I need to be thinking, how am I showing love and care to my brothers and sisters? And in my own life, I need to be thinking, how am I deciding in myself to put on the armor of God and face war today, to not for a second allow the enemy to come to me as if he were an ally? But then the challenge also goes to us. How are we as a church building something that glorifies God? How are we as a church showing that family love and compassion to each other? And how are we equipping ourselves for war? And so they challenge and equip us all three ways as individuals and as a body. And so I think that this kind of full-orbed view, nature, approach to the church is so important for us to grasp. I've heard people say things like, the church is not a cruise ship. The church is a warship. It's all hands on deck. And I want to say, can it be both? Some people just need to be on a cruise ship. And that's what God really wants for them in this moment. And some people have been on a cruise ship for far too long. And you really need to be all hands on deck. And so we shouldn't just kind of fall into the trap of picking the one that we like the most or going with what's always been the case. The challenge is to see that the church is not like any other group. The church is not like these kind of groups that build uh, plans on their own gain or something that just wants to be a nice place to hang out or has a certain group of people that we want to reach. Take any other social group and say, this is nothing like the church. We are built on the cornerstone. We have a father. We have a commander-in-chief. So we need to take all of those things and build it into who we are as individuals and who we are as a church. Now, an analogy that doesn't appear in uh, Philemon, but does appear elsewhere in the Gospels and in Paul's letters, and something that we're going to do in a minute, is one I think ties all these things together really nicely, and that is the analogy of bread. So I, I've actually got the certified information from Farmer David on this one. I, I asked him specifically, if you have a loaf of bread, just one little loaf of bread, right? You have a minimum of about 50 wheat plants represented in that loaf. But bear in mind, when the flour comes and it gets processed and it kind of spread around and you end up with your pack of flour, there's probably thousands of individual crops being represented in that bag. And then what we do is we take it and we turn it into something and we cook it and we end up with this amazing thing that we call bread that is satisfying, that is good to eat, that is good to share. Right? And what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10 is this. I'm in 2 Corinthians. That's wrong. In, two, in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says this. Is not the cup of thanksgiving which we give thanks for a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in in the body of Christ. Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share the one loaf. When you have bread, what you see is a diverse 
uh, sorry, is diversity in unity. Thousands of crops spread all over the place, coming together into one thing. And there's a prayer that we're going to use in a minute when we take communion from the first century, which talks about how the bread was once scattered all over the mountainside and now has been gathered together in one. And it prays, do this with your kingdom, Lord. Bring us all together. We are all like wheat. And we go off to our own individual places. We go off scattered. But then we come together and are made one. And we know the one who has needed us. We know the one who has baked us. And we know the one who nourishes us. And we know the one who is the bread himself. Paul says, when we participate in the bread, we are participating in the body of Christ. And we are that body. And so whenever we take communion, we start with one loaf. And then it gets broken and scattered. And the next time we come to take communion, hey, there's one loaf again. And it gets broken and scattered. And then, so on and so forth. Just like how we come together, scatter, come together. We are the body of Christ. And so, just to summarize, in case you missed it, we're like laborers. If your tools aren't sharp, go and sharpen them up. If you're not ready to prune the vineyard, now's the time to get ready. We want to produce some fruit. We want to build something beautiful. We're a family. If you're here and you don't feel loved, can I tell you, you are so loved. And hopefully you will feel that expressed to you, being part of us. And finally, well, not finally, actually, penultimately, we're an army. Are you equipped? Have you got your gun? Have you got your bullets? Have you got your armor on? Are you ready to start marching with us? And lastly, we are a nourishing loaf of bread. Jesus is the bread of life that is life for this world. And we have the opportunity to share that with people. We have the opportunity to feed on that together. So let's come, let's be the bread, let's eat the bread, let's come to Christ together.